Let's get right to uh, what we're talking about today. The four takeaways for me out of the book of Luke. So we've been in Luke since the last Sunday of November. We, we started Luke in the Christmas season, and we got through chapter uh, 1 and 2 during Advent, during the Christmas season, and then we went right into it. We got, we got all the way up into the middle of chapter 8. And now we're just going to push the pause button, and I'm going to wrap it up and put a little bow on it today. And then we're going to go on to some other things. Um, and we will get back to it. It's just a matter of when. But we will get back to it. There's really good stuff there in Luke. But the overarching, this is what I take away from Luke, the overarching thing is this, is that a commitment to Jesus Christ and a commitment to follow him is a commitment to kingdom living. It's not just, well, I believe in Jesus, now I'm going to heaven and now I can go on with my life. It's not how it is. At least not according to the master, at least not according to Christ, at least not according to Luke, his recollection and his writing it down that a commitment to Jesus is a commitment to live in, under his reign and under his rule where he's the king and we follow him and we take our marching orders from him because we're now in his kingdom. Some theologians call it, call it where the kingdom of God is breaking into our realm, our human realm here on earth because Jesus hasn't physically bodily come down and set up his rule from Jerusalem, where he's the king over all the earth. That hasn't happened yet, but his kingdom has broken in where his rule breaks into our lives and where the body of Christ is, and the body of Christ is living as Jesus, the kingdom of God, is spreading in that way. Remember, we've looked at it before where Jesus said uh, they were accusing him of doing things by the power of Satan. And he said, no, no, no. But if, but if I do this and if these healings and these miracles are done through the power of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And it had in Jesus. And the kingdom hasn't left just because Jesus went back, because he left us and he's put his spirit in us. And we, are, we have the spirit of Christ and we are the body of Christ and his kingdom moves forward. And so a commitment to follow Jesus is a commitment to kingdom living. The king's heart and the king's values guide us. So um, last weekend, thank you for praying, by the way. I did go back from Wednesday to Monday, uh, and, and we got my mom moved. Mission accomplished. She's in an assisted living place. She has staff. She gets taken care of and... and uh, that's really, that's really great. But last weekend, the agenda, it was all about my mom, for me. When I got there on Wednesday until I left on Monday, it was all about her. Like, what I wanted and what my sisters wanted, it didn't matter. The fact, if I wanted to go here or do this or do that or see a friend or, or meet someone, none of that mattered. Everything was surrendered to the agenda of what my mom needed, so in the kingdom of God, likewise, all of our agenda is surrendered to the, the king, the king's values, the king's mandate, the king's desires. See, we're in a different kingdom, and we've got a different agenda. We've got a kingdom agenda, and that's, that's important for us to know. So Jesus invites his followers into a new life that lives out the values of the king under the reign of the king, and when that doesn't happen, 
when you've got people who, like if you thought that being a Christian was just showing up for an hour at church every morning, every Sunday morning, uh, once a week, and then you left, then you were good. See, somehow pastors over the last 70 years or so, we have programmed so many of our churches that being a Christian means you show up at church once a week, and then and it's, it's almost like you, you get your little stamp, you, you punch your card, and then, and then you're good. Well, I was in church this week, so I'm, I'm, I mean, at least I have that. Well, I guess at least we have that, but it's so much more. If it's just that, it's really pseudo-Christianity, fake, false, uh, it's, it's, it's airy. There's nothing to it, Christianity. And that's neither fun, nor is it any Christianity at all. Christianity is what some of what Kent talked about last week, that we are the church, that we are the body of Christ, that we go out into our world and we do what Jesus would do. And um, that Christianity is when our life is committed to the king and we consider ourselves as members of his kingdom. So now, four quick things. In Luke chapter 1, and they're all going to re- relate back to this commitment to kingdom living. In Luke chapter 1, Luke wrote, we started out here on the first Sunday. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. We talked about how the Old Testament, God made all these promises. First to, to, to Abraham and then to Isaac, and then to Jay, and, and all the way on through. And all of the promises find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. He is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament. Luke chapter 4, we talked about this when Jesus was in the synagogue at Nazareth. I, I probably drove you crazy referring to this so many times. He began by saying to them, today, as he read Isaiah, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So in Luke, we use the word fulfilled as the series title because it's all about Jesus being the fulfillment of the Old Testament. So here's the first thing that's a takeaway for me is that Jesus is the fulfillment, not just of the Old Testament, but of all things, and we can only find our fulfillment in him. We're only ever going to find our fulfillment in Jesus. In fact, kingdom living means we are only fulfilled in Jesus. We're only fulfilled in Jesus. Our purpose as people and our life's meaning is only realized in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We're we're not going to be fulfilled through any other way in our lives. And there's a lot of ways that people are trying to be fulfilled today. You know, we are we are the most, I don't know what the word is, we've got more stuff coming at us in our lifetimes than any generation in the history of the planet. I mean, like far and away, it's not even close, exponentially more. We just get barraged with opportunities and people and things and information and, and, uh, and prompts to, to do this or do that. I was thinking last night, I wanted to watch a video online last night, a little news clip, and instead, you know, the, the commercial comes on for 15 seconds. At least they're not 30 seconds anymore, right? They're 15 seconds. But I'm thinking, these add up. How much time 
of our lives. How many hours in the grand scheme are we wasting watching these commercials, right? There's, we get, there's all kinds of stuff that's coming at us, but we're never going to have fulfillment apart from Jesus. The pinnacle, the very top, the zenith of our fulfillment is going to come in our relationship with Jesus, not in how much stuff we communicate, not in how powerful we get and how important we are, not how many people report to us, not how much land we're able to accumulate, not how many deals we're able to close or, or sales we're able to make. None of that. Our, our fulfillment is going to come in our relationship with Christ. We've seen that this week, right? These two very prominent people who have taken their lives. It's not that they didn't have like everything the world could offer. I thought about this one gentleman with the, where he traveled the world. This guy's traveled everywhere on the planet. He's seen it all. And, and I believe it's, it's mental illness that th- for these two people in particular, and that's, that's a whole conversation of itself, I think it's a very important conversation because mental illness is something that is plaguing so many people. It's plaguing a bunch of us in the room right now. I know it is. Just, it's just a matter of numbers. I know it is. And yet, yet my point for these two people is it wasn't that they didn't have everything they wanted. It wasn't that they didn't have the adulation and praise and appreciation of people. The, we could have everything we want and everything we need and still not be fulfilled in our lives. And fulfillment, and it's not, you know what? It's not that people with a relationship with Jesus don't also take their lives. They do. Because mental illness is no respecter of persons. Mental illness doesn't care how much money you make doesn't care how popular you are, doesn't care whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian. Either we deal with it or we don't. If we don't deal with it, if we don't seek help, if we don't get good care, we suffer with it and things happen. But the bottom line is, in our lives, fulfillment comes not even through good mental health. That's important. That's vital, in fact, in so many situations. But fulfillment really comes when there's good relational health with the one who created us and with the Savior who died for us, who loves us. So that's the first one. Kingdom living means we are only fulfilled in Jesus. The second, Luke chapter 1, Zechariah, the high priest, not the high priest, the priest who was also the father of John the Baptist, He said this when he was filled with the Holy Spirit after John's birth. He said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. God, the God of Israel, has come to his people and redeemed them. And then he says, speaking to his son, John, he says, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. So Zechariah declares in Jesus, that God has come to his people and that his son is going to go on before this baby, before the Lord, to prepare the way for him. So the second thing that I take away from Luke is that the kingdom of God has come upon us through Jesus Christ. Now, we've talked about this just a few minutes ago. We're a different people living in a new kingdom reality. Our king is Jesus, and we follow him. 
So not only number one was that kingdom living means we're only fulfilled in Jesus, but kingdom living means we follow Jesus. That's part of the fulfillment. Like we don't just get to just decide. See, in our society, what's right and wrong is very relative. It's very subjective in our society. Like courts determine, judges determine, people determine, uh, juries determine, uh, legislative bodies determine, but it doesn't necessarily, I mean, for them, it's whatever they deem right or wrong. We don't get that option. We have one king. We have one legislator who decides the way of the kingdom people, and that way is the way of love, by the way. But we have one king, and we follow him. We don't have options to follow somebody else. So when, so when the government or a legislative body decides they make a rule, well, oh well, you know that a lot of bodies around the world are going to make a lot of rules in a lot of different countries and a lot of different places. But it doesn't matter to us because we already know the way of Jesus and we follow his way no matter, no matter what country we're in, no matter where we're at. So that's number two. Kingdom living means we only follow Jesus. Number three. In Luke 2, I love this thing that I learned. In Luke 2, 11, it says, this is like December reading right here, right? Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And you're all hearing Linus. I'm hearing Linus's voice in my ear as I read that. The Incarnation. When God literally came down and he became flesh. God became flesh. Now, people are becoming gods all the time, right? They, it's not a strange that a person wants to be a god, right? There, there have been thousands, I'm sure, of men and, and women across the ages who have declared themselves to be the incarnation of God. They've declared themselves to be some kind of deity. But what is really strange is when God, the real God, shrinks down to humanity. That's what's really different to me. I mean, what I don't hear of too many gods wanting to become people. They want to retain their God status. But Jesus didn't do that. God, the triune God, came down through God the Son and became a person. So my point on this one is that Jesus' incarnation actually validates our own humanity. It validates our humanness. You've heard the term, well, I'm only human, right? Well, you didn't finish, well, I'm only human. I can only do so much. As though only human was like this deficit. What's the alternative to only human? Superhuman, right? Somehow, more than human. But the truth is that Jesus becoming human, becoming a man, tells us it's okay to be human. It's okay to be only human. In fact, only human was how God created us. Only human was his ultimate destiny, his ultimate goal for us. But not sinful human. See, it's not the human part that's bad. That's not the bad part. It's the part about sin that creates the brokenness. So it doesn't matter how God would have created us, you inject sin into it, and then, then, it, then it ruins it. Then it's no good. So 
He is, and we can be, fully human. human. We don't have to apologize for our humanness. We can embrace it. So kingdom living allows for our humanity because Jesus became human and will forever be human and also fully God at the same time. So he's 100% man, 100% God in one, the God-man Jesus Christ. But his humanity tells us it's okay. This is how God made us. He made us to be human. He's redeeming us, and he will ultimately give us 100% sanctification, complete redemption, without sin, without having to struggle with temptation and everything that sin brings. But it's okay to be, celebrate your humanity because it's how God created us. And that's how God is. In Genesis, he said, let us make man in our image. And then he made men and women human. Must be something about being human that was like God. Something. The, um, the fourth thing, the last thing. In Luke 5, it says this. But the Pharisees and the teachers, and the Pharisees, and the teachers of the law who belong to their sect complained to his disciples. How come you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Number four, the king calls outsiders into his kingdom. Man, did we not talk about this how many times? When Jesus begins ministering, to the people that we just think they're kind of icky. They're smelly and they don't talk right and they don't know what we know and their habits and ways are different than ours. One of my grandsons, when he gets a little bit nervous or whatever, he'll stand there and his arms will be out and he'll start doing this with his fingers. And this is what I, I almost think that, you know, when we get around people that are different than us, we just start, you know... The Cain Mutiny, that old movie with Humphrey Bogart, some of you remember, he had those little, uh, what do you call those things, those little steel marbles. He just kept rolling them around in his hand over and over again, over and over again, as he was going increasingly crazy. We get like that when we get around people that are different than us. We just get, we just get weirded out. I was talking to somebody the other day, and they were talking about their friend's, I think their friend's neighbor, and they were saying, He's so weird, so weird. He's like from Russia or something. He's really weird. And so the message there is that anybody who's not like me is weird, which is true, right? When people aren't like you, to you, they seem weird. But those are the very people that were being overlooked and they were on the fringes of society. When Jesus came, those are the people that he saw. The people with the, with the oozing skin sores that were unclean and were not allowed to be around other people, Jesus went over and touched them, embraced them, healed them, cleaned them up. The very people that are on the edges of society, they're the ones that Jesus has eyes for. They're the ones that Jesus' heart reaches out to. And he did it over and over again. The woman with the woman, the widow of Nain, who was in procession with in her son's funeral. And Jesus just walked up and he raised the son back to life and gave him to the poor lady because his heart went out to this widow whose only son 
had died, and her only chance for being provided for was gone. Over and over, we just got through chapter 8 of Luke. You go through Matthew and Mark and John, the rest of Luke. The people that we don't want to stop and pay attention to, they're the very ones that God is calling us to reach out to. In fact, in Matthew 25, we all know the passage, but I want to remind you of the little part about that passage. Jesus said, in as much as you do it unto one of the least of these, you're doing it to me. The very people that we want to drive, I have such a hard time driving by these people on the side of the road at the exits and stuff where they've got the, you know, anything, you know, sign. Give me anything. I just feel like I'm just driving by Jesus. I know, I know. You've got all these rules and the society and all this stuff. These are the people that God wants us to reach out to, the ones that are on the periphery of, of our edge of society. And so I wrote on here, the king calls outsiders into his kingdom. Jesus' heart and eyes always focused on the poor, the sick, the lame, the sinner, the outcast, an outsider. Kingdom living means we value everyone, but especially outsiders. In evaluating our church, the word that we found out that describes us, so there's two words. Inside, okay, there's two phrases. Insider-focused, outsider-focused. The group is more focused on the people already in the group, or the group is more focused on people who are not yet in the group. We are very much on this side. We, are in, we, are, we have an insider-focused church. It's not a condemnation. It's just a statement of fact. It's good, though. It's good to, to realize self-awareness, right? People have come in. We've had secret shoppers come in, and they kind of go through the paces with us on a Sunday morning. And it, Yeah, pretty much everything you do is for the person who's already here. So if I'm an outsider and I come into the church, it's like it's not really for me. There's not much here for me. So kingdom living means we value everyone, but especially outsiders. We're going to ask some of you to be on a team. It's called guest services, where we care about the people coming through the door. Somebody came through the door, they were a brand new person. And their, their statement to me was this, nobody was looking for me. Nobody was looking for me. And I'll be honest with you, when I first heard that, I didn't quite get it. But his point was, we should have people at the doors, in the parking lot, in the lobby, looking for new people to greet them to see if they've got what they need, hospitality, to be courteous, to make sure our guests are comfortable and they feel welcome. We should have people looking. They're looking for new people. And he said, I came in and I, I kind of I walked this way and I walked that way and nobody really... And I mean, we know we have a friendly church, right? But to that person, they were kind of left on an island and they said nobody was looking for me. And they just kind of walked into the auditorium and sat down. Somehow they got through the, the lines, the front line, the second line, the third line. They got all the way in here and sat down and nobody has said a word to them. These are the kind of things that we're going to work on. So 
We value everyone, but man, we have to especially value the outsider. Because the outsider is the one who needs to come to Jesus. The outsider is the one who needs to receive love. So let me repeat that a commitment to follow Jesus is a commitment to kingdom living. That is the, that's the lesson that I heard out of the book of Luke, that we don't just get to stay the same. There's a king. We follow the king. We have to live according to the king's values. We have to obey the king. That's when we find fulfillment in life. Well, we've got a picnic to go to. I hear it's rain or shine. I don't know how that's going to work. But for those of us who go, we're going to find out, right? So let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of Luke. God, I thank you for this guy who, back when it was hard to write stuff down, he wrote more words in the New Testament than anybody else, even Paul. So I thank you for Luke, and I guess that at some point in the future, we'll all get to say hello to him and meet him. Um, that'll be interesting. But Lord, I thank you that I thank you that he shows that you, Lord Jesus, are the fulfillment of all the promises that we find our meaning and our purpose in you. Lord, I pray if there's one here this morning that has never found their meaning or purpose in you, that they would see you as the sacrificed God that you are. You were there on the cross dying for all of our sins, and you simply ask us to believe to believe that your sacrifice was sufficient to take our sins away. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts through your Spirit and speak to us, God, through each other as we build relationships and fellowship together. Lord, this week as we go out, may we be the church that makes a difference in our corner of the world and with the relationships you've given us. May we be the church and be Jesus to people as we love you and love them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.